This is the Black and Blue Report presented by ABC Insurance Agencies. A better choice for insurance. Now from Studio B or wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly. Happy Monday, everybody, or as they're saying nationally, happy Super Sick Monday. I don't know whether you're sick or not. I don't know whether you're working or not. I'm just glad you're here. Welcome in, everybody, to the Black and Blue Report podcast. I'm Sean Kelly. We'll talk football and basketball today, and obviously the, I'm referring to Super Sick Monday as the day after the Super Bowl, which actually turned out to be a fantastic game. Congratulations to the Philadelphia Eagles and their organization and their fan base. We know that excitement all too well here, and uh, hopefully there's some, um, I guess, good footage out of Philadelphia today as opposed to what they'll show all over the news uh, here in the next 24 hours. But again, great football game. I couldn't believe the reaction to the halftime show, uh, polarizing apparently. A lot of people loved it. A lot of people just bashed it. I don't see that. But anyway, otherwise, I thought it was a pretty good event. As Daniel Salas and I were talking earlier, perhaps the commercials uh, were down this year. But the Newman guys, (laughs) Eli Manning and Odell Beckham Jr., kind of took top prize. Nonetheless, great way to finish the NFL season. Fantastic game. Uh, They'll be breaking it down for days. We'll do a little bit of that ourselves today with Fox 8's Sean Fazan, who was in Minneapolis for Super Bowl week. So we'll get his thoughts on Minneapolis as a Super Bowl city, uh, his takeaways from the football game yesterday, and then also um, the uh, firsthand account that he can share with us about Thomas Morstead's big appearance at Children's Hospital in Minneapolis as a result of uh, all the fundraising that went into Basically, the end of the Saints-Vikings game till the donation, which was Thursday or Friday last week in Minnesota. So, uh, Sean Fazan will be with us for that. Otherwise, the Pelicans come home from a good road trip, I think. They split the two games, beat the Thunder on Friday night, lost to the Timberwolves uh, in Minneapolis on Saturday. And now we're one of three teams, I think, in the Western Conference playoff standings with 24 losses. It is really bunched up. Uh, basically five through nine right now. The Clippers and the Jazz are on the outside looking in, but they're, I mean, literally, if they fall forward, they're in. (laughs) And that brings us to tonight's game against the Utah Jazz. It's a big one tonight at the Smoothie King Center. It's also the start of a two-game homestand here for the Pelicans this week that will see Indiana here on uh, Wednesday. So we'll get you ready for tonight's game in two different ways. Number one, we'll hear from David Locke the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, uh, and we'll pick his brain a little bit about analytics as well this season. He is really big into that, and so he may offer a stat or two that he watches that perhaps that you're unaware of that may you may find enlightening. So we'll check that out and get a read on the Jazz who come in here red hot. They've won five straight, and uh, as I mentioned, they are in the hunt here for the playoff picture. And then we'll get our first uh, visit with Nico Miritich today. Nikola Miritich, one of the newest Pelicans. He is uh, here from the Chicago Bulls at a double-double in his Pelicans debut on Saturday night. And I think that you'll find him to be entertaining, engaging, uh, and fresh. I think that he brings a new breath of air here to this team. And uh, I, I, I think I think you're going to enjoy. And yeah, well, So we'll get to know him a little bit more today as well. So lots to cover. We get a new week started on this Monday. Stay with us. We'll start with Nico. We'll do so right after this first time out. In 1907, Dixie Beer was a balanced, refreshing lager, brewed with love and top quality ingredients. 
it would grow to become something that connected us. The neighborhood beer of every New Orleans neighborhood. And now, Dixie is back to that 1907 recipe. Original and reinvented, just like its hometown. Visit DixieBeer.com to learn more. And always drink Dixie responsibly. Dixie Brewing Company, New Orleans, Louisiana. We're talking Pelicans basketball on the Black and Blue Report. Nikola Miritich is six foot ten. He can shoot the rock. He was forty two point nine percent from three prior to joining the Pelicans this season. Uh, he had a couple on Saturday night. Uh, he is a native of Montenegro and he's twenty six years old. Uh, we'll learn more about his family and his adjustment here to the city of New Orleans and what lies ahead in our first visit on the Black and Blue Report with the newest Pelican. All right, Nico, be honest with me. How many times did you look down at that strange new uniform on Saturday night in Minneapolis? Because I'm sure it caught your eye. It's something different. Uh, yeah, I did a few times, to be honest with you, Sean. And uh, different colors, different number, you know, everything was new. So, But I was really excited when I got there in the locker room. First thing was looking at the jersey, took a couple pictures, sent it to my family. Yeah, you know, everybody was kind of excited waiting for the game for me to watch. And uh, uh, it was just great, you know. But the, the most easier and helpful for me was the teammates was great. You know, everybody was wishing me welcome, talking to me, you know, trying to make it simple. And uh, I, had a, I had a really good day that in Minnesota. Even we, we lost, you know, but it was a good day. It sounds to me like you had some butterflies in your stomach a little bit. Is that the case? Uh, it is. Uh, Everything new, you know, it's it's really exciting. You want to prove, you want to do your best, you know, best job you can. And, uh, you know, really excited to be with those guys, especially Anthony Davis, Rajan, you know, rest of the guys. You know, Demarcus is injured, but uh, just, you know, blessed to be here and, uh, you know, trying to do the best I can because I know the expectations are, are, are big for me and uh, I know I can do it, so... I've seen a number of different power forwards come through. I had a very traditional one in, in David West, yeah. Peja Stojakovic. You and I both know him. Yeah. Um, certainly you'd have to throw Anthony Davis in there, whether he's a four or a five. Yeah. Ryan Anderson, too. So I've seen kind of like the whole spectrum of stretch fours to traditional fours. <laughs> Describe yourself. What, what am I going to see with you on the floor? Uh, a little bit of everything. Okay. Like you like you mentioned, those guys and uh, stretch four, especially my strength is shooting, but it's not like that all I can do. I've been working a lot last few summers and uh, especially last summer. And uh, I put like 20 pounds in, on my body, getting stronger and be available when they switch on me. A lot of times go to the low post, especially against small and attack the rim, <coughs> uh, improving the rebound and uh, especially like being, you know, in selfish teammates, you know, like play for the team, whatever team needs, you know, like uh, do the best. And uh, I really feel comfortable in transition, which is this team is uh, doing great so far, sharing the ball. And I think it's going to be a perfect fit for me. Is your game going to be different when you're on the floor with Anthony Davis as opposed to when you're out there and he's getting some rest? Or does it always stay the same? Uh, Probably the same. Maybe it's gonna change a little bit. Depends with who I'm gonna play. But obviously, when I'm with AD, it's, uh, it's uh, sometimes it's easier, you know, because a lot of defense is just, you know, looking looking at him. My guy's helping too, so I'm gonna have more shots open, 
which you know you know that's true so yes. uh but uh, with whoever i'm on the floor i know it's it's a matter of energy effort you know and uh being really consistent and focused a guy like rondo comes onto this team and he immediately asserts himself as a leader and has something to say and yeah. and gives direction which is great because of what he's done in his career and everything else do you come in and offer right away to um contribute to the culture of the team or do you sit back a little bit what's your what's your your vision for yourself listen i've been i'm 26 but i've been playing science 17 professional you know winning five championship in in, in europe you know so of course uh i'm going to c- contribute to the locker room to the to this team you know and if i gotta say something i will say because it's nothing personal it's all for the best for the team you know so uh I'm not a rookie, so I'm gonna, you know, I have a lot of experience even when I'm 26. So, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna know my role. You know, coach is gonna put me in the perfect place to, to play, and uh, I'm gonna, you know, do what's what's necessary for the team. Understand this the right way. You missed time earlier this season, so do you have fresher legs as a result than maybe some of the guys who have been grinding a little bit longer this year? I've been, yeah, I've been fresh, yeah. uh, to be honest, yeah. I've been 23 first game I, I missed, and uh, it was, i never been that much uh, games away, you know, from, from the court, but at the same time, it, it was kind of, you know, taking something positive for that. I was, I was at home, you know, watching a lot of games and learning, uh, you know, like how I can help that team at that moment, you know, uh, what to do. And when I came back, we won a lot of games, and it was kind of kind of good you know so but yeah my legs are fresh and my mind is fresh and uh, I just want to move forward and uh, help this team to make a push tell me about your family uh, yeah I'm I've been four years married and uh, have a son he's uh, three years and a half old and uh, he's very very tall you know um, coming from Serbia Montenegro and uh, yeah very family guy and you know like to be around my family day of going to cinema you know or reading some book whatever but uh, you know my family so right now they're in Chicago but they will they will come visiting me until the end of the season and uh, and then we're gonna try to find some place for next year yeah no doubt I hope you like to eat you're in a good city for that everybody's telling me that so <laughs> I'm looking forward yeah I'm already they told me a few places so I'm looking forward to go let me just say this. I'm really happy you're in this uniform now. I got really tired of watching you do bad things to the team that I work for. So welcome and thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Sean. Great stuff. Great guy. Enjoyed the visit very much. We'll continue our conversation about the Pelicans when we look ahead to tonight's game with David Locke next. Uber takes you couch to courtside at the tap of a button. Heading to a Pelicans game, Uber helps you pass on the parking and focus on the fun. And if you're still an Uber rookie, you can get $20 off your first ride with code PELICANS18. Uber, a proud partner of your New Orleans Pelicans. It's Pelicans game day. This is the Black and Blue Report. All right, welcome back. The Pelicans and the Jazz again tonight at the Smoothie King Center. These two teams have split their first two meetings this season. Utah's red hot. They've won five straight. They've got things clicking again. 
uh, just four games back at the Pelicans in the Western Conference standings. And so this is a tight grouping and therefore a large game tonight. We're pleased to welcome in our good friend David Locke, the voice of the Utah Jazz. Utah Jazz uh, not quite maybe, um, I guess, ready to go away just yet, David. This has been fun to watch here lately with you guys. It's incredible what happens when Rudy Gobert comes back. Yes. Uh, funny how that happens, huh? It's amazing that if you have one of the three best players in the NBA on one side of the ball, that if he's missing, it impacts your team a great deal. Yeah. I mean, I'm really – this is the expertise that you're looking for when you bring guests on your show. I know I realize this is really unique and special to give you that kind of insight. That's, All right. That's, that's, that's what I got for you. Well, but I also know that you know the reason why. And so – uh, my friend, go deeper here as to the intangible that uh, perhaps Rudy Gobert offers this team that is uh, beyond the surface of the conversation. Actually, this one, if you're an X's and O's guy, is pretty interesting. So when Gobert is out, the Jazz big men will would play higher up on the pick and roll most of the time. That leaves a huge amount of space for the rest of the players to guard behind that big. So if you think the pick and roll, we'll just take a, a Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis pick and roll, and the big kind, kind of stays even to the pick. Now all of the other three guys have to be covering a lot of ground, either taking away the Anthony Davis roll, which would be a hapless adventure, or firing out to Darius Miller or Etwan Moore for a corner three. And what that takes is great athleticism, and length. If the best team in the NBA doing that is Oklahoma City, uh, Stephen Adams plays up on the bigs, and then you have Paul George and Andre Robertson and Jeremy Grant, and we you wonder why maybe when Andre Robertson is out and they suddenly have Alex Sabrinas that they're not nearly as good at this. This is why. When Rudy Gobert is in the game, the big drops. Now it allows, because he's covering the key, it allows some long but not particularly athletic players to hold to their men, take away three-point shots, not have to rotate as much, and the whole defense works a million times better. See, this is why we have you on. So you try to snowball us there at the start, and now we know why. So, well done, sir. The, uh, ge- the, geek in, the geek in me can only stay down for so long. I am old faithful. But you still haven't thrown out one number yet. We'll get to that I'm in a do moment. The whole, I'm going to do the whole interview without a number. No way. I won't let you. So, Okay. Um, that's, like, that's like saying you're going to go to Mardi Gras and not drink. Th- that too. That too. Oh, there's no <laughs> doubt. Um, hey, David, what, what's the, the evolution here of Donovan Mitchell, a guy that I've really enjoyed watching play thus far and probably has a vote for Rookie of the Year from this corner? Uh, Clint Snyder said it really well in a coach's interview. He's taken three years of learning and put it into three months. And that's – so athletically, he's amazing. His balance is remarkable. Um, I think you saw that with his his drives in the game where he had 41 against New Orleans in Salt Lake. Um, he His fearlessness is awesome. His maturity is great. But his learning is what separates him more than anything else. And then that gets into a, an interesting background. So his dad spent seven years in the minor leagues and did not make the bigs and then moved on into the front office of the New York Mets, where he is now the director of player 
relations and kind of community relations for the New York Mets. So on one level, here's a kid growing up who grows up inside of a baseball clubhouse. So I think the environment of being around professional sports, he's seen these guys working. He understood how much it works. And he's seen guys being diligent to the task. Then you add into his mom. His mom's an educator who happens to teach at Greenwich Country Day. And for people who don't know about Greenwich, Connecticut, it's the number one per capita income city in America. So this is a private school in Connecticut that has the richest kids in all of America. I, You know, value judgment at that point, we're assuming it probably has a decent educational structure. But it also means this kid grew up around, as he said to me the other day when we were talking, most of my dad's, most of my friends' dads were on the Forbes 500 list. Now, I'm not sure how many rookies in our league actually know what the Forbes 500 list is. Um, so that would be the first thing. But that educational environment that he grew up in because his mom put him there because she taught at this school has led him to an example is that the Jazz sent him a video of 14 different finishes. And when I asked him what he did to learn those 14 finishes, I, I, I thought this part of his life really kicked in. He talked about, well, I broke them into 14 separate things instead of trying to learn all of them at once. I would watch the one clip that they gave me. Of, they'd give multiple players doing a one-foot off, off, you know, a goofy-footed left-hand layup. And they'd send him three or four clips of players. And so then he said, I watched that. Then I took the computer to the gym. And then I did them at slow speed. Then I did medium speed. And then I tried them at full speed. And then I brought a defender. That mentality of learning, I think, is from is now the next piece of the unique upbringing that he had that has led him to be this player. That's outstanding, and that speaks to the baseball process. It's it all ties in. Um, David, you guys are nine, I think, ten games under five hundred on the road, but yet what this team did uh, at San Antonio the other night does that signal perhaps better play away from Salt Lake City down the road? I think a lot. You know, again. I, I and I'm guilty of this, Sean. Badly, I'm, I almost did a, like a mea culpa on my daily podcast, uh, Locked on Jazz, where I was like, "Okay, I'm really sorry that for two months we discussed what was wrong with this team and why we weren't playing well." Like, yeah. I'm sorry, like my bad, because Rudy came back and everything got better, and I was like, "Okay, I'm just an idiot." Like, you know, you do it, you get caught in the middle of the, you know, you guys went through it last year, right? Everyone like, "What's wrong with the Pelicans?" Like, oh, well, pretty simple. Um, what's wrong with the Pelicans? You know, injuries. And there's a there's often a reason why one guy's making twenty million and another guy's making three, and it's not just that you know we're generous to one guy and not to the other. Um, and so I think that you know to some extent I think the road thing is that Rudy is the you know the, the guy who changes the game. Watch tonight; it's a little different because AD is so special, though. I'm not sure that AD has been great against Rudy in his career. Um, he's had one or two games that have been great, and there's been some other nights where he's kind of tapped, like not tapped out, but just never got his rhythm. Um, but if fans watching tonight, the impact of Rudy is watch how many times an extra pass is made in a negative way. So we always talk about the extra pass positively, but you run an offensive system with a structure that a shot's supposed to go up at a certain point, and a guy will get to a point where he usually shoots, usually about eight feet from the basket, and then give it off um, to somebody else. And now the offense is out of structure and out of rhythm, and people are shooting where they're not supposed to. And Rudy just does that throughout the entire game. 
in in a way a little differently than AD though. I'd say AD at times last year particularly I thought had that impact uh, on games. So I think that that road factor is just Rudy's back. I do think the fatigue of our kind of had a weird little structure here. And this is our third game in four nights with some bad travel. I do feel as though the fatigue could come and get the Jazz tonight. Yeah, it, it didn't. It didn't show up in San Antonio the way you naturally think it was. But um, as I think you can attest, is that often you can tell when you know if you feel crappy, it probably means those guys do too. And today is not a day where I feel particularly great. Okay. Well, I, I hate to hear that, uh, but I also get it. Believe me. Uh, David Locke with us, real quick. David, before you go, and of course we have to have a number. Um, you, my, you know, Pelicans fans have to put up with me being more of a get off my lawn guy, and I, I don't dig as deep as you do analytically or numbers wise. So, uh, help these folks here listening to this podcast today uh, understand a little something more about analytics and perhaps a number that they're not aware of that that you are using to help you understand the game a little more these days. Okay, so I would say two things. Um, one is actually, I just, as an announcer, just would fundamentally say I use a lot of analytics because I think it helps me call the game. Which I think I use analytics that helps me. You know, if I know that Anthony Davis drives left on a spot on a face up 72% of the time, then if he's suddenly not getting left, I know the Jazz have done something to him defensively that makes him uncomfortable. So I think that that's a value. Here's the number if I could have one analytical wish. Yep. The statistic field goal percentage needs to be abolished. And the reason is the value of a number, whenever used in a broadcast or conversation, should be to tell a story. Sometimes those of us who like analytics try to tell too complicated a story. But in this case, field goal percentage is an inaccurate story and needs to be taken out of the game. 35% of our shots count for an extra point, which means that all shots are not the same. When you have a statistic in which if you hit four of 10 twos and the opponent hits three of 10 threes, 30% is better than 40%, the statistic no longer tells an accurate story. So the way to do this is there's a statistic called effective field goal percentage. Some people call it equivalent. And if you want the just because really to make audio and radio boring, mm -hmm. the equation is field goals made plus 0.53 pointers made divided by field goal attempts. Right? You're valuing the three. But we had this the other night where both the Jazz and the Spurs were like 22 of 40 from the field. And the Jazz had hit seven threes and the Spurs had hit one. Those 22 of 40s are not the same thing. I think there's relevance to Jazz have only hit six of seven shots to start the game. Jazz have missed seven straight shots right now. Jazz have made seven straight shots. But that's not field goal percentage. That gives you a feel of the trend of the game. Effective field goal percentage actually tells you how people are shooting. Yep. No, it's good. It's good. And someday we'll work free throws in there too, somehow. Right. That's true shooting percentage. Right. The nice thing, by the way, is that effective field goal percentage, though it just, it's changed this year. For a long time, the average was 50, which is an easy, nice average. The average is up to 52 because guys are shooting so well this year. Um, but you just, you know, as an announcer, I just say that. Like, league average is 52%, Jazz is 59% right now. Okay, that told the story. Sure. Oh, you're trending in the right direction. Um, and actually, I'll, I'll, I'll tip the hat to our broadcast crew. They have done this. Our TV crew no longer uses field goal percentage. 
we're heading in that direction. All of us are. Just you got yeah, well, you, you, got, a, you got a few folks like me that just lean on the old fashioned way. That's all. Well, I think also flawed. though, honestly, not to get too inside school for everybody, but it the league needs to help us. So our stat monitors don't have effective field goal percentage. While I'm calling a game live, I don't have the. If I see 22 of 40 plus seven, that's 25.5 divided by. I can't do that. Right? Like, right. I can't do that during the game, but I can look down really easily and see that 22 of 40 is, you know, 53% or whatever it is. And that's the problem is that that number's right in front of us, even, and it's a bad number, and it's there as a broadcaster. So um, there's actually an ESPN box score add on to my Chrome that I use that has it up all the time. So now it makes it easier. But until the league embraces, this is on the league, not the announcers. And the fact that the, um, this is totally inside baseball, I'm probably in trouble. But the fact that the league rebuilt their entire stats monitors in the offseason and didn't include a single advanced stat, um, and they're not even complicated, they're just accurate, is really stunning to me. Yep. But there is another offseason coming. If we can fix that and the relationship between players and officials will be off to a good start. Um, um, I think the um, first, you want my player official theory? Sure. Yes. I think it has to do with social networks. Okay. I think our players are finishing every game, going to their phones, and being told by fans what a piece of crap they are. And they're angry. But they've been hearing that in arenas for 50 years, so... No, it's different now. Yeah, okay. It's really different when you get on a social network compared to some single jerk who you can look at and see he's a fat slob and he lives in his mom's basement or whatever, you, you know, whatever, right? right? Like, you can degrade that person, like, when not to say it. Like, that guy who's yelling at you, or you can even smile at him and probably win him back. But when it's coming at you just constantly the way social networking is, we talk about how it impacts our kids all the time. I think it's impacting our players, and so I think our players are angry. There's some. I think there maybe is something to that. We'll see. Okay. Uh, let me, uh, David. Let me end. Uh, let me end on this. Good news for you and Pelicans fans. Uh, effective field goal percentages displayed on the scoreboard at Smoothie King Center. Strong. Yes, you will like that. Strong. Yes. Game, game ops, big win. Who, who are we giving a tip of the hat to? Go ahead and. Uh, well, you know what? Let's just say Josh Richardson, James Crosby, Ben Fallon, that crew. And they'll, and okay. they'll, they'll take care of the rest of the people. Them. Yep. Um, good to see, gonna be good to see you tonight, my friend, and I appreciate the visit today. Okay. Talk to you soon. You got yeah. it. David Locke, voice of the Utah Jazz. Big game tonight between the Jazz and the Pelicans. Sean Fazam will switch gears to football next. The New Orleans Pelicans have the perfect way for you to do it big with your buds by scoring the Guys Night Out six-pack presented by Loft 18. Packages are available for select Pelicans home games throughout the season and include two tickets, four beers, and a $20 gift certificate to Loft 18, your ultimate indoor golfing experience, all for as low as $50. So do it big with the next Guys Night Out six-pack on Wednesday, February 7th against the Indiana Pacers. Visit pelicans.com to plan your next Guys Night Out today. Want each show delivered right to your iPhone or iPad? Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching Black and Blue Report. Let's switch over to football now here on the Black and Blue Report, and we're pleased to welcome in our good friend Sean Fazan from Fox 8 Sports. 
who's fresh back from Minneapolis uh, and probably much warmer and uh, a little relieved that the Super Bowl has come and gone. Welcome in, Sean. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Thanks for having me. And yes, I'm very, very, very happy to be in some warm weather. Uh, it was unbelievably cold. I just, I'm not built for that kind of weather. No, I don't think anybody is truly, but it's February in Minneapolis and it's typical. Um, what was, what did you think of Minneapolis as a Super Bowl city, Sean? You know, I, they had some pretty cool concepts. They had a few things they had to iron out. Logistically, um, it's just not New Orleans. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm still biased towards New Orleans because it's all I know. Uh, and, you know, proximity to events um, is just something that just cannot be overstated. It's just so uh, – it, it's such a built-in convenience that New Orleans has. And, you know, it wasn't terribly logistically bad with uh, Minneapolis. I mean, I've seen worse. But it, it, it's still getting from point A to point B wasn't always easy. Um, they had a concept about having the, kind of the media stage in the uh, Mall of America. I thought it was a cool idea. You know, the, the, the fans can kind of see – um, some pretty big time players kind of roaming through their mall that they you know frequent every day. But um, I think at times that got a little crowded just because you know word gets out that you know Alvin Kamara or you know name of fame Marcus Mariota who was, who was the guy who was walking around when I was there. Uh, I mean, and, and the crowd just got huge and it was, it was hard to kind of walk through. But for the most part, I thought it was you know look they did a decent job at hosting and uh, but there's just some natural advantages to uh, having it in New Orleans. And I was at that owners meeting where they picked Minneapolis, so. I always view this as the, as the New Orleans Super Bowl, but hey, it didn't happen. So uh, I, I can't imagine they'll have a cold weather city here anytime soon. But uh, I guess we'll see. Unless that, unless somebody builds a new stadium, because the formula That's now it. is you build a stadium, you get a Super Bowl. So, um, Sean, you got back Saturday night that allowed you to watch the game here. Uh, did you watch the Super Bowl yesterday as a fan, or did you watch it more in the way that you do for a Saints game? Uh, a little bit of both. Um, I was more. I was more casual about this Super Bowl, I'll be honest, because of the way the Saints season ended. And maybe it was just the fact the Patriots were in it again. Um, it just, you know, for me, it, it, it lacked the buzz. But the game was good. So I, I'm always going to watch the Super Bowl because I'm a football guy. But uh, it, for me, it lacked a little bit of the buzz. And once the game got started, I really, I really was impressed with Doug Peterson. And, um, I mean, he is a sharp offensive mind. And I was really, you know, impressed with the approach that the Eagles took. So, uh, I guess it was a little bit of both to answer your question, uh, but uh, you know, as as I usually do when football's on, I watch. So you also keep an eye on trends too, Sean. And yesterday we saw you know a record-setting day for offense in the big game. Mm-hmm. Um, is that was that an anomaly because of poor defensive play yesterday, or is that truly a real look into where the NFL game is and where it's going? Well, uh, I, I think it's an interesting question because I think you know. In the NFL, trends start happening, and, and you know, you hear buzzwords. I mean, for years, the West Coast offense was a thing. You rarely hear that now. And, you know, then came kind of the wildcat, and then there was the read option. Now this RPO has really become kind of the, the hot thing offensively uh, in the NFL. And I think defense are slowly adjusting to it. They're not there yet. I think that was more what you saw uh, yesterday in terms of, uh, at least with the Eagles. And, and look, I – Bill Belichick knows why he didn't want to play Malcolm Butler. No one else does, but I found that very suspicious why he didn't play uh, on a, in a game where they were clearly getting beat uh, by, by the Eagles offense. So um, I, to answer your question, I, I think what's happening here is Philadelphia is kind of on this front end of this RPO thing, um, and it's going to take a little while for teams to catch up. 
But I think as it typically does in the NFL, teams do eventually catch up. And we thought the zone read was going to take over the NFL, and it was pretty much a one-hit wonder. I don't know if the RPO is going to be a one-hit wonder, uh, but I do think NFL defenses, when they have an offseason to study, generally catch back up, and it's time to start another trend. So I guess we'll see, um, but I do think, the game has tilted toward an offensive game for years now. Yeah, no, we yeah we know the rules favor that and everything else. You're right, um, and RPO is a byproduct of these uh, younger quarterbacks coming in with that college mentality or the college offense that they ran. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that does make sense. Hey, Sean, I was I was a little jealous that you got a front row seat to watch the end of this Thomas Morstead uh, charitable process over the last month. What was that like to see that come to fruition in a city that? No one could have expected, you know, obviously if you're a Saints fan or a fan of Thomas Morstead. Yeah, what a, what a story that was. And uh, it kind of grew, grew, and grew to the point where, you know, my, my boss is having me go up and, and basically shadow Thomas for a day and a half, um, just covering, you know, every, every step of the way. Uh, it really was an emotional, uh, emotional thing at the uh, Children's Hospital in Minnesota, you could tell how much Tom, look, Thomas is a very genuine guy. And look, being up close with him at an event like that where, you know, there's a lot of big names. There's a lot of big, you know, live, you know, for lack of a better term, important people hanging out in Minneapolis at that week. And to see how genuine he was with everybody he talked to uh, really was something. And uh, he was really, uh, it was very, it was, it was a very emotional day at the Children's Hospital. I thought it was uh, excellent the way they did it. Um, but he was very kind, very gracious. I, I thought it was really cool. Uh, bringing out the uh, the fourth grade class from uh, I think it's called Detroit Hills uh, to, to to attend the Super Bowl experience. Uh, it was kind of funny to see that meet the Reddit poster, the original Reddit guy that, that posted the, the the post on Reddit about donating to his charity. Mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of a cool thing about the the times we live in. Is something like that can really catch fire really quickly, and it wasn't anything. Thomas will even tell you he really wasn't trying to do anything to stick out. I mean, he was just. He happened to be in the area where John Kuhn had asked him to, to run out back on the field, do the extra point, or do the you know the final play of the game, and he ran back out, and it was just kind of the image of him trotting back out there, knowing he had been injured, that really struck a chord with Vikings fans. And look, I think this is the best of sportsmanship. Uh, you saw what Thomas did, and you saw what the Vikings fans did in response to that, and then you saw what Thomas did in response to the Vikings fans. I think it was a win-win-win, and really was a good story, not just for sports, but for humanity. Let's be honest. I mean, we need more stuff like that. Yeah. Over two hundred twenty-one thousand dollars, and, and and as you mentioned, Sean, the story starts with those Viking fans. Were they able? Did Thomas share whether or not they were able to track where all the money came from? Was it only Vikings fans, or did it catch fire beyond that fan base? From what I understand, it was overwhelmingly from Minnesota fans okay. and, and a few other I think Saints players. And I want to say Sean Payton might have chipped in a little bit as well. Uh, it was overwhelmingly though Vikings fans that that chipped in. Um, you know, they like the, they like the idea and the, the actual original Reddit poster, uh, his name was Garrick, I believe Garrick shirts. Um, he was really kind of playing off the whole Buffalo Bills, Cincinnati Bengals thing when, uh, you know, the Buffalo, uh, I think it was Cincinnati's Andy Dalton, uh, won a game that they got Buffalo into the, the playoffs and, yep. and they started donating to his charity. And uh, that's kind of what he was going for. And, you starting to see a little bit of that, you know, with the J.J. Watt thing and, and now with these last two stories with, you know, Buffalo and now with Thomas Morstead, more and more of these things happening. I think it's a good thing. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, I think it was overwhelmingly Vikings fans, and that's why Thomas wanted to make sure he donated it back to Minnesota since that, that money came from them. So uh, I think it was, a, it was just an all-around great gesture. 
Sean, it blows me away, and I'm glad that you touched on those other efforts here in the last few months um, because I think this is going to now start to be a little more regular. You know, the guy that started the, the, the thing with Thomas Moore said, he said, I think he kicked in 25 bucks. And I yeah. started thinking to myself, boy, if, if we did something like that each week, you know, whether it be a team or a player or whatever, if, if you got the numbers like that, just everybody kick in 10 to 25 bucks, can you imagine how many things could get taken care of in a very quick amount of time? It really is. And, and I think that's where the power of that platform comes from. I mean, it's just it, it's a remarkable thing. And I think I'm with you. I think this is gonna, you're going to start seeing more of this. And look, as, as NFL fans and, and doing what we do, we should all welcome it because it's, it's all for the greater good. So um, absolutely. Uh, I think that can, we, could, we could solve a lot of society's ills. Not everything, but uh, maybe a few things by just the generosity of NFL fans and, you know, and, and I guess the teams that they look up to. Yeah, and I don't have to eat a hot pepper and I don't have to douse myself with ice-cold <laughs> water. I mean, literally go to the computer and click, you know, five bucks, ten bucks. I mean, I was blown away as how quickly it could multiply. I, it it was really cool. And I, like I said at the start, I, I'm jealous you got to see the finish line on that because – I'm hoping there's many more finish lines to come. Good stuff, Sean. Yeah, I appreciate it. And look, it was it was a fun day. It was a fun trip. It was a long day. It started at 6.40 in the morning, and it went all the way to about 7 or 8 o'clock that night in terms of Thomas's day. I had to do some live shots later on in the day. But uh, all well worth it. And um, I think Thomas said that was his first experience doing all the Super Bowl festivities, and uh, I think he enjoyed it a lot. Yep, I hope you did too. I really do, even though it was cold. I, I did. It was uh, there were a few cool things there. Um but, man, when that, when, when that cold mindset gets in your head, sometimes it's hard to shake it. And it's just a different kind of cold than I'm used to. I mean, we get cold here, but it's kind of that dampness. But there, it's just the low temperatures. I mean, it's, just, it's like it hits you in the face. It's crazy. Yeah. I'm just not built for it. No, nobody is. Minus 10 is minus 10 is minus 10. I don't care if right. you're from Minneapolis or New Orleans. So, good stuff. Sean, thanks a lot. I'm, I'm really glad we got to get with you on this Monday. I just wanted to get your experience out there and, and, and ask you a little bit more about the uh, Thomas Morstead story. So, Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yep. Sean Fazan, Fox 8 Sports. Now he gets to go do non-football stuff maybe for a day or two. We'll see. Yeah. Good we'll stuff. See. Yep, good stuff. Sean Fazan, David Locke, and Nico Miritich. Pretty good Monday on this Black and Blue Report. We're back Wednesday. Enjoy it. Go Pelicans tonight against the Jazz.